This podcast is intended for mature audiences. It also contains two British people talking about sex. A little bit strange doing this where you can't see me. It's a bit strange. Although I suppose this is an audio format. Uh, yeah, it does, doesn't work like that this way though. Like, not, not here. Oh, now I can see you. And welcome to Teabags and Joysticks. I'm Sai. It's the Kinky Video Game Podcast, and I'm Chris. It is, how have I got that wrong twice in a row? <laughs> Chris is back, y'all! Yes! Uh, yay! I'm back. Uh, sorry about my absence last time. How are you, Chris? Uh, I'm doing okay, I'm doing okay. Yeah? Yeah. Good. Because we had Craig step in for you last time. Much appreciated. Which that was a fun little chat. I quite enjoyed that chat. I bet it is. Craig is awesome. Craig's always good fun. So thank you once again to Craig from Kinky Boys for stepping in for Chris' last episode. But that's been and gone. So what are we talking about this week, Chris? Uh, today we're taking an inspiration of Pride Month and we are continuing a bit, little bit more talking about history of Pride. Indeed. Like, slight aside here... This is history from Pride Month, but we were a little bit late because uh, someone had a hardware failure. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, my, my little micro tea for a moment, because it's not going to be my main one, is the tea here is remember to have a backup. <laughs> I mean, I did have a backup. Let's head into the actual tea, though. What's the tea, Chris? Okay, I've got a kind of inconsequential tea this week. Okay, that's quite good then, because mine's going to be a bit of a rant. Okay, yeah. Do you know how on a lot of TV programs and they make it like a whole, make it sound like it's, oh yeah, really, really deep when they say, oh yeah, live every day like it's your last. Right. It's nonsense though. Is it? Well, yeah, because if I had live every day like it's my last, I would never have gone to work. I would have never got a mortgage. You know? (laughs) Yeah, no, okay, yeah, no, I get that. I get that. I think it's also very, um, it's very heteronormative. Because the whole, like, live every day is if it's your last, the kind of undertone of it is make sure that you're leaving every, everything on the table and everything behind you is secured. It's like, hmm. You yeah. know? Is it? I don't know. Because if living every day is your last is your motto, you never would have got into a relationship, have any kids if you're hetero. Because you're going to die the next day. (laughs) Look, queer folk have kids as well. My point is more, it's just like, I don't need to leave the legacy. Well, I mean, Uh. I want to leave a legacy, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it just annoys me that every, like, TV program, movie, I don't know, sometimes in book, make it like a really, yeah, this this has a lot of meanings behind this. It's fucking nonsense. Mm Mm-hmm. I, it's. I don't know. It's one of those things people say. Yeah, it is. But it makes no sense if you think about it. I mean, to be fair, I don't think much makes sense at, at this point. Like, I, I'm reaching that point where you like you look at phrases like that and you're just like, really, uh-huh. really. <laughs> I can get behind YOLO a bit more. 
which has the same kind of vibe. Oh, but- God. No, 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 no. I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to stop you right there because YOLO is one of those terms that I have not heard for two years now, three sure. years now, yeah. except once. And literally, I heard it once last week being used in a like deliberately ironic, jokey way. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to let you bring that one back. That's that Yolo can stay dead. <laughs> Yolo had its one time. It lived once, and it can now be stay dead. <laughs> <laughs> Great irony in this for anyone. Right. Listening yeah. is that, like my camera just died in that moment. <laughs> it did as well. <laughs> I don't know what's happening with your camera. Okay, so that's my silly rant over. What is your serious rant then? Uh, my serious rant is to do with London Pride. Okay. So, um, talking of things that people just say, just stop oil? Yes. Yeah. Mm, I have opinions. So, for those that aren't aware, because our listeners are not only based in the UK, uh, five people have been charged for performing a Just Stop Oil protest, which blocked the progression of London's Pride Parade slash protest. Mm-hmm. Now, we can get into the politics of why, whether uh, London Pride is still a protest, etc., but the point is that Pride is still a protest. Yes. So... You have five members of Just Stop Oil. I think there's more than five, actually, but it's five, I think I think there's five that's five been charged. Yeah, exactly. Who uh, blocked the procession of the Pride March by laying in the road, etc. Here's the thing. I do not, in principle, disagree with Just Stop Oil. Uh-huh. I agree that we need to take climate change head on. I understand that, you know, quiet action has not stopped things, etc. I get it. Do you know what you don't do, however? You do not, at a time when we are facing some of the biggest rollbacks of civil rights and some of the most punitive legislative damnations from powers that are far greater than our community, and we are facing down a significant amount of resistance and rollback of rights, and we are looking at a time where we are under attack in a way that we have not been for nearly 20 years, Mm. you do not hijack and interrupt a liberation group fighting for its fucking rights. I don't give a fuck what your cause is. You sit the fuck down and you shut the fuck up because that was not the way to do that. And the only thing you have done is serve to piss off what could have been one of your biggest fucking ally groups because we're used to fighting the system and we're used to having to deal with a system that will not listen to us. Sorry. (laughs) I'm pissed off. I'm so (laughs) pissed off with them. Like, I... (sighs) I understand the argument. I understand the lack of thought protest that will have gone into this. Because the lack of thought process... And I'm sorry, it is a lack of thought process because you haven't thought through everything else that I just pointed out. The lack of thought process will have been, oh, it's a big public event. It gets seen all around the world. It's one of the biggest events in the capital in this period. I don't give a fuck. That was not your time. That is not your chance. The only thing you are doing is stepping on the toes of those that do not have any fucking other means. Yeah. Sorry, it thoroughly fucked me off. I realize there's not much you can say in response to me there, Chris, but I'm just so angry. 
it's like other events that they have disrupted. Like, yeah, it's they are relatively inconsequential. I don't really mind, say, go out on the Ashes cricket match. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's annoying for a little bit, but that's fine. It's inconsequential. Go out on Pride. Yeah, exactly what you said. Like, we're already a marginalised group. We're doing Pride for a reason, and yeah, that's. It, it seems like they just don't understand that. Do you know what pissed me off even further? Yeah. They issued an ultimatum. Right. A couple of days beforehand, they put an ultimatum online demanding that Pride looks at where it takes its race funding schemes from, demanding to know what uh, controls were put in there to make sure that where they were taking the money from was ethical, etc. So this isn't a group of people that did it on a whim. Mm. This is a coordinated event where you had people pointing out to them online why this was a bad idea. You had people pointing out to them that, you know, yes, it's a big event. There's a lot of of money that comes through sponsorships, etc. And I'll grant you a little bit of that in, you know, there's an, an ethical thing to be taken there. There is, but you are talking to a marginalized group. You are talking to a group of people that, quite frankly, we need every penny that we can get to get there. And unfortunately... I'm not a fan of this this mentality normally, but there are sometimes deals that have to be done. Sure. People in the minority do not have the power, do not have the resources, etc., to be turning down those checks. You are not talking to a government. You are not talking to an international sporting body. You are not talking to these big conglomerates. You are talking... For as big as it is, you are still talking to a minority community. Mm-hmm. Wind your fucking neck in and realise who the fuck you're dealing with because you have not only hurt yourselves, you have hurt us. I'm going to take a moment to calm down and then we'll come back to the bag. Okay, I've calmed down a little bit. Only a little bit, but a little bit. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to be angry, like. I'm yeah. sorry, people. That one just really rubbed me the wrong way this week. I don't doubt there are there may be people in the LGBT community who do support ports. I just of oil. Oh, I don't doubt. And like, don't get me wrong. Like, I understand the cause. Yeah, I understand the urgency, and I understand that you know this is people doing what they see as their last resort. I get that. But I don't think doing it to a marginalised group when they are un- that group is under attack is the time to do it. No. And I don't know if they had just joined the march. That would be fine. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. So I hesitate because of this. I don't want to see Pride get hijacked. And to be honest, any liberation movement, but we're talking about Pride, yeah, get hijacked by someone else's cause. That, yeah, fair enough. The reason this one, like, just stop oil. They've done a lot of stuff. They've done the Ashes. They've done football. They've done ro- various roads around uh, cities that we both have lived in, etc. I don't mind it in the sense of it's a protest. It makes sense. The reason the Pride one bugs me so much is it is a very specific liberation protest where we are at a point in history that we are under attack. Exactly. Basically, 
they are protesting in another protest. Yeah, they're hijacking a protest, and that's the thing that really got my back up. Uh huh. Anyway, shall we move on? <laughs> we shall. Let's let's move on because I think we're talking about something that's actually kind of relevant to it all today as well, which is that showing my age a little bit here. If anyone's familiar with the works of Mel Brooks, they may remember a brief history of the world, part one. Well, we did a brief history of Pride, which was way back in episode seventeen. Uh, from oh, my notes, Jesus, has it been that long? <laughs> Yeah, 2021. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of doing the Mel Brooks thing and picking up uh, part two many, many years later, which he did I mean, go back and do A Brief History of the World part two. It was a TV series. Yeah, except he took 20 years and we took two. I mean, we're a much smaller platform. We're taking small... I don't know. Just sure. Either way, we're doing it. <laughs> I mean, we're not going through in quite the same way. We're not going through as like a whistle-stop tour of the history of Pride, which is what we've done before. No. But we figured we'd talk about a few things that are maybe related to Pride. Just I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily related to Pride. I would say they're elements of sort of queer history that yeah. have been passed down somewhat verbally, somewhat kind of just tangentially, because, you know, a lot of queer history is not recorded. Yep, uh, that's true. So where are we starting, Chris? Well, shall we start with the LGBT acronym? Indeed. Or, you know, maybe LGBTQIA. Uh, but anyway, what whatever acronym that you use, L always comes first. It, well, it does now. It didn't used to. It used to be, uh, what was it, GL... <laughs> It used to be GLT at different points. It's been various different ones. It's been extended out to LGBTQIA plus now. I've seen some people have a lot more letters in there, a lot yeah. less, etc. Yeah, depending, depending on from where you are, uh, 2S I've seen uh, mm-hmm. very common in Canada. Yep. But it, the point is it kind of somewhat standardized these days that LGBT is the start of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I admit, that's what I go to as shorthand when I'm like speaking. But do you know why the L tends to come first and why it's not, you know, BGLT? So it's it's in alphabetical order. Well, because uh, when you expand it, then you have to kind of just remember alphabets or just go A, B, C, D, E, F, G all the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, although that doesn't make way worse. I'm what would they actually end up being now? It would be B G A for A A B G I. Anyway, I'm not <laughs> I, spot the dyslexic. Anyway, so the reason it's or at least the um, like folklore, I guess, would have it. I don't know how accurate this is uh, in terms of the why it got wide adoption, but my understanding is that the L comes first, and this is how it was explained to me, because of the work that was done by the lesbian women in our community, particularly around the HIV and AIDS epidemic, and when that was first kicking off, sort of the sort of the the uh, initial period, let's say, because I mean we're still having that fight these days. It's just a lot more in our favour these these days. Yeah, and the reasoning was that. It would often be the case that lesbians in our community would be the ones that took care of the sick and dying uh, because there was still an entire 
thing of people not knowing how it was transmitted, people not wanting to take that risk. We knew it affected predominantly gay and bisexual men, etc. And so a mm-hmm. lot of gay and bisexual men, their families, etc., kind of kept at arm's length and unfortunately isolated a lot of the people that were suffering. And a lot of the lesbians went in and they did it. Mm-hmm. I believe it was San Francisco that did it first. I could be wrong, but I believe it was San Francisco did it first made a point, and as I understand it, it's still something they do, to have a lesbian contingent at the start of the Pride Parade and to acknowledge the work that was done by lesbians by having the L be the first part of the acronym as a form of thanks. Okay. And it's actually, you still see this in some Pride Parades where you will have a lesbian contingent at the start of the parade. More modern day, you see some that have actually chosen to forego that in favour of having some of our trans brothers and sisters and individuals at the start of the parade, on the basis that that is the bigger fight that we're facing right now. Sure, yeah, yeah. But it goes back to this fact that the LGBT community is a community, and it was an acknowledgement of the work that was done. Mm-hmm. Can't help one without the other. Exactly. And this is the thing that's like always fascinating to me when we when we talk uh, like LGBT history. Like people forget how interwoven all the different groups are. Oh yeah. So people forget how interwoven, say, you know, frankly, the LGBT community as a whole was because you know Stonewall was a riot, mm-hmm. and Stonewall started because they were going after people that were dressed in attire that didn't fit their gender. Yeah. That was the charge that they were arresting people on. So when people start going, oh, you know, LGB without the T, etc., fuck off, quite frankly, because you do not know your history. We are all part of the same fight. Yeah. Well, those people don't know the history and they don't, frankly, they don't care about the history. Well, true, but I'm in a ranty mood. Let's not get me started. (laughs) (laughs) My point is, like, there's so many subcultures under the banner, but, like, there are reasons why... We have these little things, and I thought we'd talk about a few of them today. The the L being first is kind of a good jumping off point, I think. Yeah. So in terms of like LGBT subcultures, there okay, there are clearly a lot. You know, you have your lesbian lesbian dykes, you have your femboys, those kind of dress codes, uh leathermen were well, still are very common. Um they kind of convey this subculture through, like, codes and, like, connotations, if you like. We, we do, and I, like, as a, as a sort of leather man, I, I, I would say, yeah, we definitely do. Although I'm going to jump in for a moment and just go, you still very much have, like, the dykes on bikes in San Francisco. If you've sure, never seen that, go and watch oh. the YouTube videos of it. It's amazing. Uh, you still have, like, very visible subcultures. Yes, but they don't explicitly, like, say, oh, because you dress like this, you, you know, it doesn't spell out, okay, yeah, like, doesn't spell out LGBT, you know. Mm, I think it's, mm, does it? I don't know. I think if I'm walking down the street, it's very, it's very hard to not see that I am. <laughs> well, they'll see a uh, leather man, yeah. But that's, like, uh, for people who are not in the know, they just know, oh, yeah, this is someone who's dressed in leather. No, that's fair. That's fair. Go on. No, so, yeah. Uh, so what I'm, I'm getting at is, yeah, these, these subcultures like, are for people kind of in the know already. They, mm-hmm. um, they, they already understand something about these subcultures. 
Uh, I mean, it, it's always been that thing, isn't it? It's just like one of the... I always think this is a nice thing of, of the queer community, of like, there is that if you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, some other subcultures are more difficult to, to, you know, sit back on, you know, how they dress, say, mm-hmm. fur, like, furries. Okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> if you walk down the street, you're not really going to... Well, okay, I'm saying this... If you walk down the street, I don't think you would be able to immediately identify someone in that community. Mm-hmm. But I'm not part of that community, so I don't know. Maybe there's a way of signaling that that I don't know of. But I have always found it interesting how queer culture as a whole has always found its root with so with counterculture. Oh, yeah. And so the biggest example for that that I can immediately point to, because this is me talking, is... Sort of leather culture and queer culture and the way that those two have interacted and the way that, you know, a lot of a lot of queer men kind of threw themselves into leather culture, bike culture, etc. Because it was that that thing that it was the opposite almost. Exactly. It was counterculture, but it was also that opposite because it's that thing of, you know, you have media going, oh, they're Nancy boys, this, that, and the other. It's very hard to call someone that when they're literally giving the epitome of what media is also saying, this is the height of masculinity. Oh, yeah. Because uh, remember, um, they far right used that picture of Mr. Christopher? Mm-hmm. Uh... <laughs> oh, God, yeah, I forgot <laughs> about that. You might want to tell that story for listeners that aren't familiar. Oh, yeah. When uh, COVID was at a height, they used a picture of Mr. Christopher, uh, for... Christopher Weston, uh, big muscle daddy wearing... For those uh, that don't know, big muscle cigar daddy leather porn exactly. star. Yeah. <laughs> Smoking a cigar, wearing a leather vest and using him as a prime example of hyper-masculinity to say, oh yeah, I've been, I've done, I don't need a fucking vaccine. <laughs> the irony of this being, this is literally at the same time as Mr. Christopher is going out, going, get vaccinated, oh, and yeah, everything else. And- <laughs> <laughs> Wear a mask, yes. <laughs> Oh, but I, I mean, that just also kind of makes the point that I was making, doesn't it? About how, you know, you're not going to be tagged under this label if you're, if people are assuming that you're on that oh, side. Exactly why I brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that's all, like, really overt stuff. Like, yeah. it's really overt how counterculture, etc., has always worked in. But there's much subtler things as well, isn't there? Well, it's more subtle, but it's also more overt. Like, if I... We're, trying to talk about pin badges well i mean i was i was talking not only about pin badges but like hanky codes and various identifiers that have been had over the years sure hanky code are a bit more like yeah more more covert but pin badges are actually really overt if i if you look into the messages uh, (laughs) that are often printed on these pins Mm. Uh, so yeah, rather than like communicating using connotations or some you know, implications, they mm-hmm. often have a very distinctive message printed on them. So these pins probably started in about the seventies or the or the eighties, uh, okay. when we had quite a lot of gay rights movements in, in in the fights. Messages are quite often like political. Mm-hmm. 
So you would have, oh yeah, print printed on on the, a small pin badge, like gays against Nazis, or if you're in the UK, like uh, fight against Section Twenty Eight. That, that that kind of very explicit message. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know you would wear uh, people would wear it on the daily clothes. Uh, but isn't this going back to a time because the hanky code predates a lot of this but also kind of happened in that sort of time as well but was phasing out mm. this also I think it's important we contextualize this a little bit and say this was happening kind of around the punk period in the UK true so you had a lot of this counterculture um I guess, fuck the establishment narrative that it was not uncommon to see on these pins. So, like, you, you had yeah. things like the Sex Pistols and, you know, fuck, fuck the Queen. You had things like you had the Greens and the hippie movement against Trident, etc. Hippie movement being an entire delineation of things that we could get into about how that was labelling a, a counterculture. Mm. Like, there was an entire thing there of you had this counterculture movement that was happening already that the LGBT community also grasped onto and went, yeah. hey, yeah, we can run with this as well. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Sometimes the the, the queers would use these badges to identify themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I see it as a bit like your fetish T-shirts that says, I don't know, uh, Pisser Berlin, or that, that, that kind of t shirts. <laughs> yep, yep. Although I think it's interesting though, because I, maybe this is my own personal stance. Those fetish t shirts I don't wear unless I know I'm going to be at an event. Mm-hmm. Like I don't wear them on my day to day. Sure. Whereas these things, I, from what you've told me, it's always struck me as it was much more kind of in your standard outfit rotation, in your standard sort of, um, let's use the word sort of peacocking that everyone does with accessories type of thing. Yeah, you could say that, and, and it would be probably be hidden within like a whole bunch of other pin patches. Yeah. <laughs> and, that, and that's kind of, that was always kind of the rub, wasn't it? It's just like, it wasn't a case of you would have one or two of these and it was very nope. obvious. It was a case of you were looking at full jackets of these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pin badges kind of evolved into the patches though, didn't they? They might have done. Yeah. Because I still have, have at home a denim jacket. Mm-hmm. That is covered with like band band patches and various ones, and you've seen them over the years where there's political statements on them, etc. And that I think that's an idea that still persists, just not quite as prevalent. I mean, you definitely still see pin badges and patches being sold in a lot of queer stores. Oh, absolutely, I but I would say I don't see the pin badges as commonly as I do the patches now. You think so? But this could be confirmation bias. Mm. I also say this like fully aware of how I use patches. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, so I have, I have a satchel bag sure. that on my satchel bag has, um, what, there's a gay pride flag on patch on there, there's a leather patch on there, 
There's a bear patch on there. There's my pronouns on there on a patch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got a couple of other, if you know, you know, sort of patches on there that indicate certain kinks, etc. Well, you say that. Uh, the the Rainbow Pride flag is well known to the general public, but the other flags, the leather flag, the bear flag, it, they are still like, if you know, you know, kind of badge. patch, even. I- are they? Because I feel like the le- maybe not. Mm, okay, little bit of confirmation bias because I live in Bristol and we have the bear bar etc. That flies that flag. I feel like the leather pride flag is a little more well known these days. I know I've got the queer pride flag on there, which is much less known. Mm. Like I don't think most people realise there is a queer specific flag, but. The leather pride flag is one that I've seen flown. Maybe it's just confirmation bias, but I see it often yeah. enough that I kind of feel like it's in the, some level of public knowledge. I I feel like it's it's just us going around <laughs> our, our counter circles because I mm. have seen quite a lot of these kind of questions on r slash uh, vexillology. <laughs> okay. What the fuck is this flag? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's an episode in that of going through and collecting them and just seeing what the wildest uh, suggestions were. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, no. Okay. Yeah. I think you might be right. Maybe it is just a bit of confirmation bias there. Yeah. Rather than you know those. Like literal, like written political statements, these are still, you know, you need the knowledge behind them to know what you're looking at. Mm. Uh, I've definitely got people asking me about the rubber pride pin badge that I wear. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I know that. So I've got some uh, pins that were done by. Um... James Newland, Space Pop's over. Okay, right. Which, like, some of them are really obvious what they are, and yeah. so like they're not the ones that worn on my daily bag. Some of them are less so, mm-hmm. um, and it's like you get the question, and it's just like, well, it's a it's a community marker. Let's call it that. <laughs> <laughs> but kind of rounding back to our uh, original point about subcultures as well. There's also an interesting thing to me of, like, there are some subcultures in our community that really are, if you know, you know. So, like, I've had the question multiple times from a couple of colleagues, like, I will say I'm a leather man, it doesn't bother me, right? right? But I have had people go, what does that actually mean? Okay. And it's just like, well, okay, I'm will always willing to answer that question because people learn, but it's like, wow, people don't... Even for where it, and admittedly, this is usually straight people, but not always. Yeah. It's always interesting to me that people don't realize that the leather subculture and the ethos of that and the way that, you know, leather men, like I always use the uh, examples of how leather men would be sort of at the front and sides of parades sort of thing, because they were that that epitome of masculinity. They would go out and do things in the community 
to help the community because they could be seen as that visible sort of hyper-masculinity combat to the stereotypes. I don't think that really surprises me that much. If it doesn't like explicitly affect them, they probably wouldn't go, go out of their way to find out. So it doesn't surprise me when it comes from like straight folk, but it does surprise me when it comes from LGBT people. Especially ones that you would think have a fairly good grasp on the history of the movement. Okay. Yeah, but, you know, you have to learn from someone. True. I mean, on that subject, can we talk about what you didn't know the other day? Because I think that's a good one for us to cover while we're talking kind of elements of queer history that are just more oral. Well, that's fair. Yeah, Uh, I didn't know what the eighth quilt was. No, which I found that shocking. Like, legitimately, I found that shocking. <laughs> and then we realised that the reason you may not know about that... Was that, well, I wasn't living in the UK when that was a thing. Yeah. So this was, a, to those that have never heard of it, because I think there's younger queers that may not have heard of it as well, uh, the AIDS quilt, the AIDS, sorry, to give it its proper name, the AIDS Memorial Quilt mm-hmm. is a set of quilting that was done, I believe it may be elsewhere, but predominantly in the US and the UK, where each panel is a representation of somebody who lost uh, their life and lost the battle with uh, HIV and AIDS. Now, this is a very big thing. A very, very big thing that I was very distinctly aware of. Mm-hmm. But I think I may have been aware of it due to exposure. Because yeah. I was fortunate enough to have queer people around me as I grew up. Exactly. Like I feel like even if I probably were in the UK at that time, I probably wouldn't have known. Because mm. I would have been still be quite sheltered, really. Yeah. I mean, it's worth noting that the... The US and the UK AIDS Memorial Quilts are separate things. The UK Memorial Quilt is... So there are 48 panels. Each one is 12 foot by 12 foot. In On the UK one, some of the names on there are Bruce Chatwin, uh, Derek Jarman, uh, Ian Charlson, Denham Elliott, who were uh, actors and filmmakers... Uh, the biggest name that I uh, came across straight there that a lot of sort of queers will know uh, is Mark Ashton, mm-hmm. and also the photographer Robert Mablethorpe. Okay, Mark Ashton of uh, um, gay and lesbian uh, supporting minors. Correct, GLSM. Yeah. Uh, it's represents a the UK version represents about three hundred and eighty four people. Uh, the American version is significantly larger. Okay. Um, and so I have a photo here that I'm looking at. And Ed, honest to God, every time I see this photo, it takes my breath away. So this is laid out on the National Mall in America. Mm. And it stretches the length of the mall. Now... To anyone who's not familiar, the mall is the bit that you see in the presidential like swearings for American politics, where it's filled with people that has a quilt that lays out and covers the entirety of it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Each panel on there represents somebody that was lost, mm-hmm. and it started as a way of public education, 
it started as a way of remembrance and it also was used as a way of protest because it was laid down along the mall and the the quote I read is we were laying out our dead because each panel is roughly on that particular quilt is roughly the size of a coffin and it was a way of laying out to it was a way of laying out to the political center of the country in America this is a representation of the people that you are leaving behind mm-hmm I think this may be something that we dedicate a full um, episode on at some point. But it, it's truly fascinating. Truly, truly fascinating. And and there's some websites where you can go and see some of the panels and see, like, this was not just... This was not just a small act of remembrance. This was... This was catharsis. This was this will have been painful to have made. Yeah. But it was also a way of honouring those that were left. Uh, those that we'd left because they fell sick and we, we couldn't save them sort of thing. And it was a way of having some level of legacy for them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Sometimes remembering the loved ones are painful. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's one that we'll come back to but i think like we've we've touched on quite a bit yeah we have like i don't want to i know that's a bit of a heavy note for us to end that on but i think that's like if we're going to be talking about you know how patches and things have been used to communicate like you're not going to get a much bigger patch than a giant patchwork quilt that can cover the length of the mall in america (laughs) you know like there's so much of queer history and this and we were talking about this and and like i said to you when when we discover that you didn't know what that was. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why we do this, because there's so much of queer information and history and things that don't get written down. And there are archives, archivists out there, and I take my hat off to them, because some of the work they do is phenomenal. Yeah. But so much of queer history is oral as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, Given how how recent the gay rights movement Mm -hmm. is, is... Yeah, it's shocking that we have so little written information. I mean, it's it's what happens when you when it's what the description was love that can't speak its name, you know. Yeah, and the thing the thing that I wanted to kind of end on with this is to say that you know I got into a rant in tea about how we're in a really hard period right now. Mm. I think it's important to say that yes, we are. But we're still here. We're still fighting on. There's still light at the end of the tunnels, you know? We were at Carnival earlier this week. And there was an individual, I don't know their pronouns, so I'm just going to stick with they. They were marching through Carnival in what was a a group that was entirely women. Mm-hmm. And they were in what was sort of the women's sort of outfits as it were okay. not that the outfits were gender but you know what i mean you go to carnival you see these big elaborate sort of the wings and things that the women have etc yeah and they were in they were in uh transplant colors okay and i'm tearing up saying that now like i'm proper sort of you know yeah. hats off to them 
it's rough right now, but there's hope out there. And there are things that are always there. And, you know, there's a reason that subcultures have always been nothing. Um, and there's yeah. a reason that counterculture has always been so strong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, we're always going to be here. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm getting emotional. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, we think we're going to leave it here today. Yeah, I, I think I think we leave it there before I get either ranty or cry because apparently this. I'm doing all the emotions today. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, let's let's leave the history tour here for now. Let's leave the history tour here. We'll pick up again at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. It feels almost wrong to say this, but should we head into the five minute Marvel and, and like lift lift in the spirits a little? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. So, from one set of counterculture things to another, I guess, I guess. Secret Wars TV show is happening. and um, No, Secret Invasion is. Secret Invasion, sorry, not Secret Wars. Secret Wars was the comic, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that's out. Yeah, uh, I'm shocked. <laughs> so, context on where we're at, we're two episodes in at time of recording. Yep. I have some opinions. I'm going to hold back a moment and let you have your say first. Sure. I'm fucking shocked they kill off Maria Hill in the first episode. I'm pissed off they killed off Maria Hill in the first episode. Oh. I didn't expect her to survive the series. Let's be clear. Fair. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a problem with that. But they kind of built her up to be one of the main episodes coming into the series. Exactly, which is why I didn't expect her to survive. Mm. I didn't expect her to go out in the first episode. Yeah, and Colby Smulders even said, like, oh yeah, there's so much development of this character, and then, well... There isn't. Like, I'm sorry, like, in the scheme of things, there isn't. No. And it's really annoying, because, like, one, it's Colby Smulders, and my God, she's a phenomenal actress, but two... Maria Hill is an actress that we could re- sorry, is a character we could really bear to know a lot more about. Yeah, exactly. Uh... So, do we want to talk about the Skrull, the Skrull invasion and like how far do we think it's gone, or do we want to kind of hit on some of the other stuff? Because, like, my God, right? <sighs> so it's weird, isn't it? That, uh, that millions. That... Sorry, go on. It's weird how the how the politics in the world setting has gone. Right. Right. Was it just series. me that looked at them when they blew up Russia and went, oh. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> like, okay, you're setting this in Russia? And then after after they blew up the square or whatever, it was like, oh, like a whole of Europe seems to be friendly with Russia. <laughs> that and also let's contextualize what was happening real world for a moment for those listening to this after the fact that episode where they blew up russia happened the same week well within the same week that the whole uh russian civil war thing oh, broke out etc yeah. exactly and i'm sat there watching this a little bit late at the time going oh marvel mm. <laughs> Oh, this was not how you planned this, is it? Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> uh... So, who do we think are scrolls? Because apparently, there's millions of them. Yeah. 
We know well, apparently the British Prime Minister is, which, I mean, even by modern politics, that would make sense. Um, yeah, I am really annoyed they keep uh, addressing her as Madam Prime Minister. I mean, I, it's a very Americanized thing, isn't it? Exactly. It's too, too Americanized. It's wrong. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, Rhodey is the obvious one, but is it too obvious? I don't think Rhodey is. Mm-hmm. If Rhodey is, I think that's a great bait and switch, but I don't think Rhodey is. And I'll tell you why, and I won't take credit for this. This was pointed out to me by a YouTube channel. I can't remember which, though. Every single scroll that they've revealed that has had any amount of screen time over a quick snapshot yeah. was wearing green or had green in some form on or around them. Interesting. The biggest shock to me is that Nick Fury's wife is a scroll. Yeah, but I think he knows that. Oh, no, I think he knows it. It's just I didn't expect it. I mean, the fact we're seeing Nick Fury's wife at all. Well, okay. Yeah. The fact Nick Fury's wife was willing to kiss him after he spent how many years up on the space station? (laughs) (laughs) You know, because I'm telling you now, Chris, I love you dearly, but if you did that to me, the first thing you would get is not a kiss, you would get a slap as you walk through the door. Like, where the fuck have you been? (laughs) His wife seems to be also expecting him home. Right? Also, his wife is in England. Which, I mean, kind of makes sense. Yeah. Head of the US spy agency, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, uh, we haven't got much time. Uh, I need to see more. It's giving me weird, like, dark world vibes. Sure. And that was five minute Marvel. That was the five minute Marvel. <laughs> oh dear. Just like a scroll, it's hard to know what to make of that one. Um... Yeah. <laughs> but that leaves us at the joysticks, Chris. Yeah. And this is an unusual one. I don't have a joysticks this week. Yeah, it was fine. My professional life has been way too busy this week, I'm afraid. So I'm afraid it falls to you. What's on your joystick? My joystick is... I've only been playing a demo of... Well, I've been playing Panorama, but we've already talked about Panorama. Mm-hmm. Um, I have also been playing a demo of uh, a game called Starlight Odyssey. Ooh, I like the name already. Uh, Future Chris here. Speaking of the name... It's actually called Jump Light Odyssey, not Starlight Odyssey. That was a fail on my part when recording. So it's a spaceship builder, if you like. Right. So the the premise of the story is uh, you are the princess of this planet that has just been blown up and you and your crew are trying to flee this massive um massive like fleet of bad guys are you heading to another castle that you've got elsewhere well you're heading towards this i don't know this promised planet or something i can't remember what what they're called but okay so kind of yes (laughs) yeah that's where that's where where all the hope is apparently um, but yeah, it, you jump from star to star using something called 
jump light. Right. Um, it's also a bit like uh, FTL, faster than light. I was going to say, is this like 3D or is this FTL kind of strategy it is, board? It is 3D, but the map is a bit like FTL. Right. So okay. you've got a red line like moving from left to right and you have to you know, be ahead of it. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. Otherwise, you, you're in for a massive fight that no one seems to be able to win uh, for the time being. But then the, uh, the, the, the demo is only for the first sector. So, okay. So this being just a demo, then how promising does this look, and how early in development are we talking? It is a bit clunky. Um, there are a lot of stuff that you, I feel like you should be able to just, for example, press on a person's name or somewhere on that profile screen, you jump to that person, and it doesn't do that at the moment. However. It is a demo that is pre-early access, so right. very early. Because this was the thing I was going to say. People forget that for as polished as it was, and don't get me wrong, it was polished, faster than light when it first released was a little bit clunky. Mm. So this is not necessarily a bad thing in my book. Yeah. So they're in pre-alpha. They are, yes. yeah. They are okay. very, very early in development. Um yeah, I wouldn't say... Is it Alpha? Is Early Access Alpha? Well, I mean, Early Access has become a bit of a nebulous term these days that doesn't really mean anything, but... Yeah. Oh, what I really dig is their art style. Right. It 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 screams like Japanese anime to me. Every character looks, okay. like, looks like it's from, say, um, Mobile Suit Gundam. Ooh, all right. All right, I can get behind this. Mm. Oh, I might need to go and look at this one. This sounds interesting. So, yeah, it's the standard stuff. Like, you, you, you have different rooms in your spaceship. You are controlling placing, placing stuff. A bit like, you know, your two-point campus, that, that kind of game. Mm. Uh, and then you, you have your crew just going, going around, and you assign them jobs, and you assign them missions to go out on their shuttles, uh, you make sure you get back in time before you jump, otherwise you lose them entirely mm-hmm. in another system, obviously. Um, so this is like sounding to me like it's halfway between kind of faster than light and... I'm trying to think what the other game would be. Maybe almost like a hybrid between faster than light and prison architect? Yeah, I was going to say say Rimworld, which is very like yeah. prison architect. Uh you know what I mean with Prison Architect, though? Like, in Absolutely. that sense of, like, you've got to get them in the right area to do the right job type of thing, but then you've got the faster than light thing of, we need to go now. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I know there are different uh, scenarios in the full game, because they, they are, like, silhouettes that, that mm. have been just greyed out. Um, so I assume there are more than one story that is just, you know, that is just, oh, you have to constantly be a be ahead of a fleet. Maybe there's is it more, RNG? more to that. Pardon? Is it RNG? The galaxy map is, yes. Right. I'm sorry, I should say procedural generation, not RNG, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to go look at this, I think. Yes. The, this has me uh, intrigued. 
the demo is out for another two weeks, and then they're going to close the demo, apparently. Oh, so it's an online demo. Well, it's Steam. I don't know. It's on Steam. Okay, fair enough. Okay, this might be one to watch then. Yeah, I, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. It's, I've had a good time playing that game. Good. I'm glad to see that there's something to be looking forward to in the gaming world at the moment, because I'll be <laughs> honest, we've just had what was this year's equivalent of E3, because E3 is dead. Yep. I'm sorry, E3 is dead at this point. I, I will be very surprised if we see that come back. Yeah. But we've just had the equivalent of that, and I... I <laughs> I haven't been this underwhelmed by gaming news in a very long time. Honestly, I tuned out. I yeah, I didn't that's kind of my see point. Anything because everyone's banking on Starfield, etc., and I'm looking at it going, I, I don't really see the draw. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, like I know some people are really looking forward to it, but it's going to have to really pull something off if it's going to impress me at this point because I'm not seeing anything that makes me want to like desperately play it. Fair enough. Um, I I will definitely check it out when it comes out, but you know I'm not gonna be hyped about it. Oh, I mean it's on Game Pass, so I'll give it a shot. But exactly, you know I'm not itching at the controller for it either. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. Someone said the other day to me, it's like, oh, it's one of the best periods of gaming that we've had in a long time. And I'm sat there going, is it? Well, yeah, maybe five years ago. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, but then again, five years ago, it all... Uh... Anyway, I'm not going to get onto a rant, because, like I say, I don't really have a joystick today. I'm just glad there's something uh, to look forward to. Yeah. But I think that's the show, Chris. Sounds good to me. Yeah! A little quick thing of admin that we have. Sure. Uh, because you weren't here for our 50th episode. I know. Hmm. So, I mean, I'm going to use my time for joysticks right now and go, uh, should we talk about where Teabags and Joysticks is going? Yeah, of course, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, for our listeners, you will know that we've always kind of had this thing of we wanted to make sure that we were doing sort of kink and video games and everything else, but it's that thing where we don't want to only be talking about just sex constantly that you know we're kinksters there's more than that to us that was the entire point of why we did a nerdy podcast around that includes kink mm-hmm. so going forward we're going to be having some broader discussions similar to what we've done today where we talk about some of the sort of the unwritten things of the community some like some of the stuff that we've already been putting some of that work in oh yes so some of that started last week with the talking about sort of neurodiversity and kink, but also we may sometimes talk about just general things that are in the community, not necessarily sex-related. Mm. Uh, we're still teabags and joysticks. We're still going to be, you know, the kinky video game podcast, the video games, yeah. etc. are still going to be there. Oh, absolutely. We're just kind of relaxing our mandate a little bit to let us explore a bit further. Yeah, yeah, yeah there are more to us than, you know, just kinks. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, we don't have to be kinky all the time. I mean, do we well, know? We, we are kinky all the time, but we don't have to act <laughs> kinky all the time. But no, with that, like you weren't here when I announced it last week, but we do now have the Teabags and Joysticks website online. Yes. 
They, we have can. plans for that going forward. Yeah, and you can find that uh, on www.tbnjpodcast.com. Yep. So tbnjpodcast.com, we have plans for that going forward. Hopefully, we will have a version of the TBNJ list that will be playable on the website for you guys uh, in a future episode. We will announce when that releases. We oh, are yes. also going to be able to use the website to get your feedback and to add things to the TBNJ list. Mm. So we will announce that via our social media channels, etc. And if you want to find us online at all, you want to find out what platforms we're on and what we're active on, if you go to tbnj.com forward slash links, you will be able to find links to all of our content. That's uh, awesome. But then I don't have I I, I, I can't can't say the can't say no the, you the, don't the have to anymore. say the confusing thing anymore. <laughs> no, it's almost like we're starting to make things a little bit simpler for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but no, like that's just a little bit of a look at where we're going with the show. Like a little bit of a heads up that some of the content might be a little bit to the side of what you've come to expect from us, but not completely removed. No. And, yeah, I think that's all the announcements I have for now. Cool, nice. There will be more to come. (laughs) It'll be interesting. But for now, I have been Sai. And I've been Chris. Thank you very much for uh, listening and joining us. We will be back, hopefully, in a couple of weeks. Yep. And we shall see you soon. Bye. Bye. This episode is edited by TVNJ Chris, as our bot comprises 403 audio. The opening and ending music is called Conundrum by DOAK. Thank you for listening to T-Bags and Joysticks. So, little quick big thing. Quick, yeah. <laughs> quick, yeah. <laughs>